0: Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.
1: Imagine this for one moment, that we are one connection away from everything we want. One connection. It's not that far. If you imagine a mosaic, your piece is here, and you're surrounded by other pieces. And we, and one connection away from us is a whole nother world. Is a whole is the rest of the mosaic. And if we follow any of those, or if those aren't working, we can shatter the, the the mosaic because it's not like a jigsaw puzzle where every piece goes in its perfect place, and it can't be, it can't happen without that piece there. A mosaic, every piece can go everywhere, so we can rearrange the pieces of our life. So if a certain thought is bringing us to a reality of a life that we don't want, we can change that thought. So what would happen for all of us if we change the initial thought that creates the words that we say, that creates the stories that we tell, that creates the life that we're stuck in? Would it bring us out? I don't know if it would. For you, maybe it would. Maybe it wouldn't. And you have that right to decide that for yourself. But I at least want to turn your table over, and I at least want to say to people, what would happen if you just thought one different thought, and you're one connection away from thinking, that, thinking differently? How could you find that connection? How could you find that different thought? And are you willing to make that change?
2: Daniel, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us.
1: Hey, Shrini, It's so good to be here. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. Yeah, you and me both. I know okay. that we've made multiple attempts to
2: record this conversation, and thanks to scheduling snafus and technical issues and a trip to India, that didn't quite happen. But I'm really thrilled that we're getting to do this at the very beginning of the year. Um, so you, having heard uh, many, of my interviews before, uh, yes. I would like to start by asking you, what did your parents do for a living, And what impact did that end up having on the choices that you've made with your life and your career?
1: Fabulous question. My, I grew up in a lower middle class family. My dad was a salesman, and he sold glass. And this was in the time before shopping centers were big. And he just landed a deal to put the glass windows in 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 the King of Prussia shopping center outside of Philadelphia. And it was only shortly after that that he died. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, we grew up in a family that my dad was someone who could care less about how much money was in his bank account, but how much love was in his heart was the most important thing to him in the world. And I became like my dad. It didn't ever matter to me. He was my idol. He was my... Uh, he was my... He was my, my God. He was everything I looked to. But he died with a mountain full of debt and one black suit in his closet because he gave to everybody else even when he didn't have it. Hmm. My mom was a secretary in a synagogue. And so, uh, she also contributed a little bit, but it was, she was the type of mom who wanted to be home to make cookies and, and for us when we came home from school. So we lived in that Ozzy and Harriet. You may not even know who those people are, but in that Ozzy and Harriet lifestyle where we had a beautiful family, where there was tons of love. The only thing that happened is they weren't around long enough for me really to enjoy them. My dad died on July 4th of of my 13th year in this world, and my mom two years later on July 4th of my 15th year. Mm. So I lost my parents two years apart on the same day. Wow. Uh, So
2: when you saw the way that your dad died, um, you mentioned with a mountain of debt and uh, one black suit, what decisions did you make about how you would live your life based on how he
1: died? So, fabulous. What was really interesting is when my parents passed away, I went to live with my mother's sister and her husband. And they were not, we didn't know them very well. They lived, we were in Philadelphia, they were in Kansas City, Missouri. And the change from the East Coast to the middle of the country was was small in comparison to the change of the economic plateau that we were in to the one that we were going to. My uncle was a household name. He was our block of H&R Block. And so I went from a lower middle-class family to one of the elite families, and certainly in Kansas City, if not in the country. And he looked at me and he said, I see in you the ability to start at the bottom, pushing a broom, and over time to take over my company. I believe you will be in my seat because I don't have any sons. And it was in a time, it sounds crazy to say it, but it was in a, t- a time na- uh, when men did not give their companies over to their daughters. They gave them over to their sons. And he didn't have any sons. So he saw me as the opportunity to to continue his lineage in the company that he that he had started Wow um do you have children? Yes. I have I have a twenty nine year old developmentally delayed daughter. Wow
2: having lost your parents uh at such a young age, I wonder what impact that has had on the kind of parent that you've been
1: oh gosh You can only imagine there is no greater pain than losing your, your everything. I mean, my dad, my dad was my everything. I love my mom too, but my dad, we, he would take, we would walk down the, the boardwalk in Atlantic city, which was then the, a bigger place to go. And I would hold on to his ring finger and I was four years old. But the way we walked was the same way. I had the same sort of gait that he had. And people would just turn around and look at us because they would say, I was the mini me before there was a mini me around. And losing him l- shook my entire world. I lost everything, every connection that I knew of to things that were good in my life. I lost. And it's no wonder now that I am working with people to help them reconnect to a world that they're disconnected from. We live in the most connected time the world has ever known, but we're more isolated and alone than we've ever been. And partly that's because we're disconnected from ourselves. And I realized my disconnection, it completely changed my world. I I realized that I was searching my whole life For the place that the adults told me was where my parents were which was a place called heaven and i had no idea where that was so i walked away from from the opportunity to run h and r block i walked away from an opportunity at hay house that i helped them grow a publishing company where i helped them grow from um, three million dollars a year to a hundred million dollars over the course of 10 years in sales because that wasn't the heaven i was looking for i was looking for that place where my mom and dad were that I could reunite and reconnect. And I think all of us, maybe it, maybe it's just my own particular journey, but I think all of us are looking for that place where to reconnect to that place where we initially disconnected from to reconnect to who we are and what we are. Let's pause there for a minute and see where that takes you and your question. (laughs) Mm. You know, uh, the funny thing is I
2: realize, and I wrote about this a few days ago, um, in a post in our blog, it was you know, a piece titled on the time we have left with the people who matter most to us. And I've said that this is something that we take for granted. This is something yeah. that we, we squander and we spend exorbitant amounts of times. So I think part of what prompted me to write that was there was a, a Spanish, uh, video that the viral campaign thing that went viral and it was for a liquor brand and the premise of it was basically they would bring these people into a room together they had a gay couple a mother and son a couple of best friends and they would basically tell them say hey you know by the way based on statistics and data we can actually calculate how much time you guys have left to spend with each other would you like to know wow and, in the, you know, that you can find this calculator online, uh, if you, if you look for it. Uh, but what was shocking was how little it was, you know, it, it, people thought it was years and it, it, ended up being days, uh, you know, just based, I see my dad once a week and the total time came out to 23 days is what we have left. Yeah. And wow. yet, you know, we spend literally, you know, you'll spend something like five, 600 days of your life, staring at screens, browsing the internet, doing all this other stuff. So The reason I brought that up is is because I wonder when you're so young uh, and you lose both parents, how at that age do you process and navigate grief and how has your perception of the experience changed with age?
1: Gosh, huge, huge. Great question. Deep question. Great question. I think I did what everybody else, what I assume other people do is it was so overwhelming for me at that point either it would either it would roll me over and destroy me or i put it into a room that i didn't even want to look at i i took my grief and i said this is just too big for me to even comprehend so i'm going to just go numb i'm going to build a wall around myself to protect myself i'm going to silo myself in that protection I'm going to paint around that wall to make people think that when they see that wall, it's me, and to have them believe that they're seeing a beautiful version of me. While all the time, really what was happening is I was sitting quivered up in a fetal position, crying my eyes out, wondering why did I lose? Why why would this happen to me? and why was i now suddenly so separated from a world that i knew none of my none of my friends had lost their parents i was so different from everybody else and i saw what i what it caused me to do is see a world that was so completely the opposite of the world other people saw while other kids were out running and playing i was wondering what had happened? Why me? What was going on? What what was this meant for? And it was Independence Day in America. It was Independence Day. and, And I thought, oh, God, that means I have to be independent. But it was only in writing my book, The Mosaic, that I realized that we are not meant to be independent. We're never meant to do this alone. We can't do things alone. In fact, when we do things together, we're, it's so much more valuable and we can do so much more. And the things that we can actually see when we come together is so much greater than the things we see on our own. But for 60 years, I lived with the message of my parents are trying to tell me to be independent. Until when I read when I wrote the mosaic and I sort of found that place, that heaven that I was looking for when i reconnected with them through the writing of that book what i realized is i had gotten the message entirely wrong what they were saying is don't be independence means death when you cooperate with other people when you work together with other people when you build things together that's where life is so it's a huge revelation for me and it only came in the last few few years And it's
2: such an interesting message in a culture where we have such a high level of individualism. Uh, And, uh, you know, a couple of months ago, and and most of you will have heard it by the time you're listening to this, we had an interview with a guy named Will Storr, who wrote a book called How We've Become So Self-Obsessed and What It's Doing to Us. And what you're talking about is such a contrast from that.
1: Yeah, well, it, it really comes, Srini, it comes down to this for me. We have experienced. I'm going to let me let me not say we because I don't mean to papalize this or make this a teaching. Let me talk from my own personal experience. The pain that I've gone through in my life has made me want to protect myself because who wants to experience pain? So I've created these walls around me and these silos that have isolated me, and. I started to wonder why I don't feel the fulfillment in the connections that I am having because I have great friends and I have good connections. but how can I have great friends and good connections when my silo is meeting your silo when my wall is meeting your small wall, but I'm not letting you behind that wall and you're not letting me behind that wall and and so the connections we're having are silo to silo, not person to person, and that leaves us empty because. Our whole life, we're taught, in order to be successful, copy what this person's doing. Do these things. We're sold day and night, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We're sold things to make us happier or more successful or feel better or look better. No one ever tells us, hey, why don't you just be yourself? Like, don't go outside of yourself. Go inside yourself. What's inside you? That is, what's your passion there that just can't that keeps you awake at night? what happens when you when you connect with that and when you connect with that where was that given to you from how does that how does that work and how do you use that to connect with other people who have passions that are similar they don't have to be exactly the same passions they don't even have to agree with you but when people of passion come together whether they're of like mind or unlike mind they create passionate situations and that's what's missing we have passion but we have all our passion is spent from silo yelling at silo that we're right, you're wrong, we're right, you're wrong, we're right, you're wrong, because we're so insecure to allow somebody else in. Does this make sense, what I'm saying? Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah, it does.
1: Uh, you know, as so you mentioned
2: building walls, and I think that this is something that I've experienced firsthand, firsthand. And so I wonder, you know, how you would deal with this. So I think that I know myself well enough to know, particularly when it comes to the context of romantic relationships, mm-hmm. that when I've been hurt, my instinct is to start building walls, shut down, um, yeah, and not let people get too close. Like I don't save the phone numbers of people that I go on dates with anymore, yeah, mainly because it allows me to basically, you know, not be nearly as attached to them if it doesn't work out because they're just yeah. a number, not a person. And, and part of me is like, wow, that is kind of sick, and it's abstraction and sociopathic behavior and a wall. So I wonder how do you prevent yourself from building walls when you've been disappointed and when you've been hurt? Because those are inevitably things that are going to happen. We don't go through this life without getting punched in the face.
1: Totally. So um, my, my approach, and it it really is the first, the first practice of connection that I've been given by the mosaic is the practice of being kind to myself and being kind to ourselves when we're so hard on ourselves. Like if, if we listen to the way people explain their situations, most of the time we hear people in conflict with themselves. And I don't mean to, you know, if I'm saying something that's inappropriate here, please, I'm I'm sorry. I mean it with all the love of my heart, but I know that pain that you're talking about. But instead of trying to say, how do I stop doing that? My approach is, how do I be grateful for the walls that I've built up and the thing and what it's done to help me? And how do I allow myself in my gratitude to the, to, to the protection it's provided for me from the, from the perceived threat that I, I believe is coming? How do I love that wall so much that I say to him, I don't need you right now. Please stay close because I may need you again. But right in this minute, let's see what happens if I can just drop this wall. Let's see what happens if the pain that I perceive, maybe it's not as great as I perceive it will be. And maybe it's actually more beautiful than the pain of me living in these walls that just suffocate me and kill me. Because I'm safe in here, but I have no life, I have no connection. When, when, and I, and I don't mean to get this personal, but just because you, you mentioned the story, let me just use that and then come back at me because I'm, I'm not saying you're doing anything right or wrong. When, when we can't trust that we're being, that the people we're meeting are here to benevolently help us to learn how to love. Whether that's in a business relationship, in a romantic relationship, with our spouse, with our kids, with our own self then we have no chance to go beyond that. What if instead of, of thinking these people are will, will probably hurt me because I've been hurt before by situations just like this, think, how did, I, how did I walk into this situation and how can I walk into this situation with all the love of my heart so that I can now embrace whatever pain there is here, that I can... I can be compassionate to myself, that I can allow that pain to come into this this space that I'm going to hold for it so that I get it out of myself and into this holding space outside of myself so that I release that from my being instead of holding it welled up in the walls that I've created. I'm not sure that I'm saying it clearly enough. Is this making sense? Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, it's the kind of thing that I think that when people like myself
2: ask questions like this, I think often we live in a culture of of silver bullets and sound bites and life hacks and productivity hacks uh, and I realize this is not one of those questions that can be answered with such an answer so yeah absolutely it's a it's one of those things that requires a lot of deep reflective thinking, which I appreciate
1: yeah but i I want to so admire your honesty to be able to say in front of thousands of people this is this." a real, a real situation, because so few people talk about real situations. And I, and I don't want to answer it. Like my job in the world that I live in is not to answer questions as much as to question answers. And I think that when we start to question some of the stories that we tell ourselves, I have, I have a theory for change that I follow in everything that I do. And it's so simple that I don't understand why the world doesn't practice it on a day-to-day basis. Our thoughts become our words. Our words become our stories. And our stories become our life. So imagine if we, imagine this for one moment, that we are one connection away from everything we want. One connection—it's not that far. If you imagine a mosaic, your piece is here, and you're surrounded by other pieces. And we—and one connection away from us is a whole nother world. Is a whole is the rest of the mosaic. And if we follow any of those, or if those aren't working, we can shatter the the, the mosaic because it's not like a jigsaw puzzle where every piece goes in its perfect place and it can't be—it can't happen without that piece there. A mosaic, every piece can go everywhere. So we can rearrange the pieces of our life. So if a certain thought is bringing us to a reality of a life that we don't want, we can change that thought. So what would happen for all of us if we change the initial thought that creates the words that we say, that creates the stories that we tell, that creates the life that we're stuck in? Would it bring us out? I don't know if it would. For you, maybe it would. Maybe it wouldn't. Yeah, you have that right to decide that for yourself. But I at least want to turn your table over. And I at least want to say to people, what would happen if you just thought one different thought and you're one connection away from thinking that, thinking differently? How could you find that connection? How could you find that different thought? And are you willing to make that change? Wow.
2: Earlier in our conversation, uh, you mentioned that your mother was a secretary in a synagogue. So I had to ask what, if any, were the religious and uh, spiritual upbringings uh, and messages that you received growing up?
1: My dad was Orthodox, was an Orthodox Jew, and my mom was a reformed Jew. So we grew up pretty confused. <laughs> no, my, we, we grew up with religion as a cultural thing, not a spiritual thing. Uh, but when my parents passed away, I thought, God, the adults told me my parents are in heaven. Who speaks of heaven? Religion speaks of heaven. So I set out and searched for India to go to India to find a teacher to help me understand the ways of the world. Along that journey, I got sidetracked in Israel for five years and was one day away from being ordained a rabbi and, and I left. Because I couldn't follow the doctrine that the, that the Orthodox Jewish tradition gave because I still believed in other, that in, in a more Indian approach to life, which is God exists in everything and in everybody. And there's no one way that's right. There's, there's only the only way that's right is if if you love him. And so it definitely influenced me, but not in the ways of going into the organized religion that I was born in. Even though when I came to Israel, they said to me, I met a very sacred man there. And he said, I have one question for you. Why were you born Jewish? Were you born Jewish to become a Hindu? Or were you born Jewish to understand Judaism? And I had to stay with him five years until I could give him the answer to that question. Hmm. Wow.
0: Remember folks, with tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips.
2: So, one thing that I think is really interesting is you had the sort of drastic contrast of a father who died in a mountain of debt and then, you know, uh, a family who had, you know, really what seems to be the kind of wealth that would sustain itself for generations generations. And, you know, and I only know this from having seen some of the, the documentaries on Johnson and Johnson, that the family that, you know, had the Johnson fortune. And, yeah. you know, I wondered one, what are the things that you learned about money and wealth from each of those perspectives? Uh, what are the messages that you got and how did they shape your decisions early in your life and how have they shaped them now?
1: Beautiful. My, my, my dad taught me to live life the way you want to live it. And it doesn't, don't give a damn what anybody else thinks or says. If it's in your heart to do it, just do it. My uncle taught me so many things, but the thing, unfortunately, that I probably took away from it that has shaped my life more than anything is when I sat down with him, he asked me, are you going to, are you going to take me up on my offer? And I said, I need a year to watch you. And he said, do you know, 99.9% of the people in the world, if I told them that I was going to start them pushing a broom and that 10 years later, they were going to be sitting in my seat, would have said, when do I start? Where's the broom? And I said, just our rotten luck that I'm the 00001 percent because you've had three months to watch me to come to this conclusion for you- yourself. I would like to take a year to watch you and see what I'm walking into because I don't know this world. And at the end of a year, it sounds easy because we're talking in a story right now that is easy, that's following one year later as if it was just moments later. But one year later, he said, I'm going to pick you up from school today and we're going to go out to lunch. I'm going to actually take you out to lunch. I'm going to have you leave school early. And we went to lunch and we sat down. He said, so do you have an answer to my question?" And I, being the smart ass kid that I was, said, You have to ask me a question first. He said, Oh, did you forget the question I asked you one year ago? And I said, No, I forgot. I only forgot that today was one year later. But I promise you I will never forget that again. When you give me a date, I will be I will honor that date. He said, So do you have a question? I said, Yes, I do. But my question comes in the form of three questions. And he said, Okay, tell me what those are. I said, I remember in the summer you had a, you had a birthday party and I, you had over 250 people at our house. And I remember coming up to you and saying, God, how beautiful this must be to have this many friends, to have this many people who love you and care about you and come here and want to celebrate your birthday with you. What a special day this must be for you. And I said, do you remember what you said to me? He said, yes, I do. I'd say it to you again today. I said, I'm going to paraphrase it and you tell me if I'm right. And he said, go ahead. I said, what I remember from that story is you telling me none of these people are my friends. If tomorrow I would lose all my money, no one would be here at my party. They're only here for one reason, because I have money and they want it. And I said, said, is that right? He said, yes, that's exactly right. I'd tell you the same thing today. And I said to him, then why would you want to give me that gift? Why would you want to give me the gift of believing that nobody gives a darn about me? They just are interested in me because I have your money. He said, okay, I see where you're going. What's the second question? I said, the second question is, I remember when you were sitting, we were sitting at dinner one night and your daughters were starting to get serious with boys. Do you remember what you said to them? Excuse me. And he said, "Yes, I do." Uh, and I would say, I, I say it to him every day still. And I said again, "Let me paraphrase, and you tell me if I'm correct." You said to them, "You know, you're not that attractive. You're you're normal looking girls. You're not beautiful. You're normal looking. So you have to know any boy that's interested in you is interested in you because of your last name, not because of who you are." And I said, "Is that right?" He said, "Well, Danny, you know, I have to believe that." And I said. Okay so say that I would be able to get over the first question say that I would be able to make real friendships with people why would you want to give why would you want to give me that gift to my kids why would you want my kids to have that gift and he said i see this isn't going so well what's your third question i said my third question is If I were to start at the bottom and push a a broom and come to the top and have ideas of how I could help the company grow, because I've seen it from inside out and I've seen new possibilities and new ways of doing things and new directions, because you're really innovative. He bought CompuServe when when it was the first internet company out there. He wasn't a a, a conservative, not innovative man. I said, if if I were to have that vision and I were to see new things that I could do, would you give me the space to do that? And he said, Danny, if something isn't broken, why would you try and fix it? Just do the system, know the process. I said, Uncle Dick, does it seem to you that we have the answer to our questions? He said, yes, it does. And I'm sorry for you, and you know what has to happen now. I said, I think I do, but why don't you tell me? He said, I have to gently ask you to leave our family because we, you obviously have rejected what we have come here to give you. So I'm going to ask you to leave, and for all intents and purposes, you're excommunicated. And I, I looked at him, and, and he was expecting me to be mad at him or unhappy. And somehow, as a 16-year-old as a kid, I said to him, I can't thank you enough for who you are and the opportunities you've given me. I would have never had a chance to see the world like you've shown it to me. And I so respect you and so honor you. And I want you to know that even though I'm not in contact with you, I love you and I'm so thankful to you for all that you've shown me. And so over the course of years, what's happened is I've had this thought in my head that people who have a lot of money, also don't have the charmed life that we believe they have they have a lot of something but there's something really unfulfilled inside themselves that doesn't allow them to connect to people in a way that's meaningful and rich because they always think people want something from them and i see it even in the world that i live in i have friends that call me up and and say well you've got to get on this mlm that i'm doing or you got to get a part of this program or you have to l- hire me to help you do this Where- What's happened to just being friends with each other? What's happened to just loving each other and not selling each other? Not I'm so tired of people trying to sell me things and, and sign me up for a program or sign me up to prosper them or sign me up to do something. Why can't we just be friends? Why can't we just listen to each other and love each other and hold the space for each other to figure things out on our on our own? Does that uh, Does that answer your question?
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah, I'm getting chills listening to you talk about this, so I I just didn't want to say anything. What did you do after? Where did you go? How did you get from there to Hay House?
1: Uh, So I went. I went to university and I studied psychology because I thought I got to find the answer to why this little innocent kid would leave his, his parents would die, why he would go from a lower middle-class family to one of the elite families in the world. Like what in the heck is behind all this? And I took all of my undergraduate psychology courses in two years so that I would have a degree in psychology, but I found that it didn't answer the questions that I had. And so that's when I, I left school. I dropped out of school after in my, in my, after my uh, freshman, sophomore year. So I did two years of college. At 17 and a half, I put my thumb out on the road and started to hitchhike a, a, around the world. And I spent about six years hitchhiking around the world. I, I went to seminary during that time in Jerusalem, Israel. That's when I left there. I And I went into religion to see if religion had answers. Religion didn't have answers. I went to yoga to see if yoga had answers. I, I spent 20 years, uh, 10 years as, as a monk in a monastery, in a yoga community, being a monk. And and then 10 years as a householder, as a as a married man, do, running businesses and, doing, and, and and working in companies. And still I didn't find my answers. Because the premise of what I was trying to do was a belief system that I had to do it on my own because I believe my mom and dad died on Independence Day to teach me independence, to teach me don't count on the world around you. You can't count on the world around you. And it's really only in the last three years that I found my purpose and I found my peace, which is the building of this mosaic, which is helping people see we're all parts of something much greater than we are, And it's in the coming together with others that we accomplish amazing, spectacular, beautiful things that we never even saw possible when we were standing on our own. My premise was wrong. And I don't beat myself up for it because it taught me so much. I I I fought so many battles with the belief that I can do this. No matter how many times I get knocked down, I can stand up again. No matter how much I do, I can always get up. I I I I I. <laughs> but I went, you know, I, my eye of of ego eye went the ay ya 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 of a Jewish ya <laughs> Like what in the heck am I doing? Right? It's so much easier to just ask somebody for help. To just be vulnerable enough to be open to say, this is what I need. This is who I am. This is what we've come for. How can I help you? How can I give you what you need? And how can we help each other grow and prosper together? And so what it's made me see is the paradigm of the world we're living in, which is a vertical paradigm of I know and you don't, and so I'm going to teach you, or I'm going to help you, or I'm going to fix you, is deteriorating. And there's a new paradigm that's a mosaic paradigm where just all of us coming together find answers to things that we never saw possible. I'm sure you're aware of swarm intelligence, right? Mm -hmm. I believe that's the new modality. When you look at birds fly, they don't have a leader. They just all fly in sync with each other. When you look at the way fish swim, same thing. And there are people that are doing work with in swarm intelligence, where they just give have sixty different people in different parts of the world with a mouse that and a, and a and the ability to move something on in the middle of a circle, with answers around the circle, and none of them know the answers on their own. None of them would predict that the answer that they landed on as a group would be the answer that they would choose. Not one of them. But the answer that they choose is the right answer. There is something that we don't see yet because we're so caught in just seeing our own ego and seeing and, and defending ourselves and living in our silo of pain. That when we dissolve that, when we get out of, look, I'm, I'm a proponent of like-minded communities. I love them. It was so important to me when I was a lone wolf to find other people of like mind that I could be a part of. But like-minded communities that once saved me are now destroying the fabric of what I believe is our reality because those like-minded communities have become silos that are getting bigger and stronger and wider and deeper and the gaps between them are becoming large larger and deeper and and and, and fuller and we are just sitting on one on, on sides of the fences yelling at each other saying we're right we're right we're right we're right it's time for us to melt those silos down to come together as like and unlike minds to listen to each other to hear the po- what possibilities would exist if we would only allow each other to in- influence each other hmm. wow
2: so i uh, you wonder you're at hay houses of all places which is is really a breeding ground for ideas and things that move us forward as a society and things that change our perceptions of what's possible in our lives how much of, of you know your own perspective was influenced by the work that you did there and the people that you were exposed to there? And how did you take what was useful and relevant to you and discard what wasn't?
1: Yeah, beautiful. You you're you know, you're so good at what you do. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you. You have you asked such good questions. So I was at Hay House for 10 years. I came when they were a three million dollar company and I left when when they were doing hundred million dollars a year in sales. What, what I saw is, is even the people that are changing millions of people's lives, behind the facade of who they show is a person that has a lot of pain. And so often I would say to people, it's time for you to read your book again. Your book is changing millions of people's lives. Read it. Just sit with it again. Allow it to influence you again. And what I found is, there are a few people, I mean, there are some saints that have come into this world that have written the book that they want to share a vibration and a story and a feeling with the world that's their vibration, and it does that. I can think off the top of my head, I, I, I'm a, I followed Yogananda, Paramahansa Yogananda, he wrote a book called Autobiography of a Yogi, a must read for anybody. And in that book, you just are absorbed, not with just the words that you say, but the space between the words, the vibration of the book, and it changes you to just read it. But most people write the book that they most need to read. And when I would see time after time after time after time again that I would say to the people, they were my friends because I didn't want anything from them. I would never say to, everybody else was, woo, woo, what can you do for me? How can you help me? My, I was doing my job. My job was to help them be the best they could be. And I never asked anything from them. I remember sitting around the table at dinner with all with a celebration of our authors and every single one of them came, said around the table, there's one person here we want to help. And None of them said the name until at the end, they had, They had, must have talked about it before. They said, Danny, it's you. You have never asked us for anything. Everybody else has asked us for something. Why won't you let us help you? And I said, it's not my job to ask you for your help. So there were two things I saw in that. My lack of vulnerability and my desire to just give. But my lack of vulnerability, I don't want to lose. Because here were people who were top-shelf people that just wanted to help me. But I wouldn't let them in. And so part of what I've learned now as I go into life is, how can I be more vulnerable? How can I bring down those walls that I have around me where I have to be the one that's always The right one, the good one, the, the one that, the strong one, the white, the white knight shining in armor who rides into the room and says, get out of the way. I'll take care of this for you. And how do I just allow you, Srini, right now to see the little boy scared to death, hiding behind his wall that might not be good enough? that just might not be enough, that might not be able to help you, that might not be all that you want me to be. And I sit with that boy now, and I just, instead of, instead of hiding him and being ashamed of him, I just hold him in my arms and say, look at the man you've become. There's some things in me that you'll love, There's some things in me you won't love. But look at the man you've become. I'm proud of that man, and I want you to be proud of him, too. And help me to make this man a better man. Connection. Everything in life is connection. I'm talking now about connection to my own little self. I'm talking now about a connection to vulnerability. I'm talking now to a connection of a premise that that led me in one direction. And when I changed the premise that I was following, my whole my whole destination changed. It's all about connection, and that's what the mosaic is. It's a simple fable. It's a simple story. And the story, you can read it and enjoy it. It'll take two hours, three hours to read. It's just a simple, simple story. But the real story only starts the moment you finish the book. And the moment you allow the mosaic, the connectedness of life, to change you, to enter you, to lead you in places that you would never go before. The things that I'm talking about, I don't write about in my book, but when I read it again, every one of them is hinted in it that I didn't even know that it was happening. I would write and it would erase. I would write and it would erase until I got it just the way it wanted it to be. And I didn't understand why. It's only now going back that I'm starting to understand why. Because what it says is beyond the words that are on the page. The story it tells is only the beginning of the story of what it will tell if you allow it to enter you. So I can't recommend highly enough that people start to listen to the stories around them start to listen to other people start to take a moment during the course of your day to just ask a question to someone you don't know and just take the time with them to listen to their answer that's really the story of the mosaic mo and his search for heaven Met up with all these characters, normal, ordinary people, a street worker, uh, an artist, a a trash man, a juice maker, a mirror maker, a gardener. Common, ordinary people, not the standard archetypes that you think are the the ones that lead you to heaven. But every single one of them, when he sat and listened to their story, left him seeing a different person than the one he saw before he came. And I believe that if we would take the time to listen to each other, what we would see would be remarkably different than what we saw coming in. And that's where innovation happens. That's where change happens. That's where miracles start to happen. That's where understanding happens. That's where kindness happens. That's where everything that we need in the world now exists. But we spend our time talking. Listen to me in this interview. I'm talking so much rather than listening. And I think I had to write this book because one day I'm going to learn how to listen more than I talk. But so be it.
2: Hmm. What are you still uncertain about and what are you afraid of?
1: Oh, wow. I think I'm uncertain about everything. I think one of the big changes in my life is I went from feeling certain about everything to being uncertain about everything. What am I scared of? As hard as it is to actually hear myself say the word, I'm scared of intimacy because I've had so much pain in my life. I, I am married now. My, my wife passed away 18 years ago of the worst cancer a person could ever have. She spent the last two and a half years of her life in blood-curdling, screaming pain, 45 minutes on, 45 minutes off, all day, all night. And I, the great white knight, was two inches away from her and couldn't take away one second of her pain. But at the end of 45 minutes, it went off for 45 minutes and she was fine. I'm scared of that happening again. I'm now remarried to one of the most exquisite women I've ever met. She's beautiful outside, but her beauty on the outside has is not even comparable to how beauty beautiful she is inside. Her gift is her ability to love. And she stands there just loving me, even when I push her away. Because I'm scared that if I love her and let her in, something bad will happen to her. Look at the story. Look at the thoughts. Look at the words. Look at the stories. Look at the life. I have to change that thought. Cause if something bad happens, it might. But why keep somebody that I love so dearly at bay? Because I'm scared that something could happen to them. Because that's what's happened to other people that I've loved. I've lost them. And that pain for me has been so big that I would rather keep people away than bring people in close. And so I laugh at the guy with the big G on his sweatshirt that has me talking to people about connection. I feel like the least appropriate person in the world to share that message because it's what I'm most scared of. And so I remember. The beauty of being at Hay House and seeing that the people wrote the books that they most needed to read, not the ones they knew. And I put myself happily in that clump of people because it should only happen that I learn how to connect to myself, to my God, to my source, to my purpose. and to each each other. Those are the four connections essential for everybody living in this world.
2: Wow. Well, I think that that makes a really, really uh, thought-provoking end to a very, very, very um, insightful and deeply contemplative conversation. So I have one final question. Uh, Which is how we finish all of our interviews at the Unmistakable Creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable?
1: Um, Being themselves. I think in the world we live in today, I don't know. I don't think I know anybody that's truly themselves. And I know a lot of people. And the messaging the world gives us is copy this system. And you will be successful. I just wrote a Facebook post today that by copying what other people do, we might become financially well-to-do. But we might not become content. I believe it's only when we can go inside of ourselves and we can get our answers from within us and that doesn't matter if it's in a relationship with another human, with another person or your wife your, or your friend, your, your associates. If it's a business, if it's a government of a country, we have to be true to ourselves. And I think we've lost the ability to even know who ourselves is. I think we're scared to death to find who we are beneath, behind those walls, to touch. We've, we've blockaded. I know I'm going to say for me. I've blockaded myself so much in my room, in my silo, because I'm so scared of the pain that I once felt. That pain has become exponentially bigger. I remember years ago, I did an experiment. I remembered I, I I had made pretend that a room in my house was the room that I put all my pain in. And I would keep putting that pain in that room all the time. I had an extra room and I just put it in there and I never opened the door. After years of having that room be there for only my pain. After being scared to death to open the door to that room. One day I just sat and I said, I'm going to open the door now. Do you know when I walked in the room, there was nothing in there? But I had spent years believing that I could never deal with the pain that was there. There was nothing in there because I wasn't the same person anymore that had put all those painful places in, and I couldn't even remember what they were anymore. If we could have the courage to just be ourselves, to go within rather than to live life from inside out rather than from outside in, to me that would make somebody unmistakable because there's so few people around doing that. amazing um
2: i can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and uh, share your story your wisdom and your insights with our listeners this has been mind-blowingly cool uh where can people find out more about you uh your work and everything that you're up to
1: thank you Uh, first of all Thank you so much for saying that because you have no idea how much I respect you and how and how many people you've spoken to and how meaningful that is for you to say that to me because uh, you just touched me deeply with those words so I want to thank you for that. People can find me the easiest place everything that I have is on the mosaiconline.com that's my website. And uh, It's being added to all the time, but you can find all my social media. You can find my contacts. You can find my sort of approach to life. You can find how to get the book. You can do all of those things there. Um, And that's the easiest place to do it. And for everybody listening, we'll wrap the show
2: with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming?
0: Because Rustolium's new custom spray five and one gives you control with five different spray patterns, so you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1.
1: Only from Rustolium.
3: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands.